A little bit later in my sermon today, I'm going to be reading from the book of Genesis chapter 45. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bible to the book of Genesis chapter 45. And um, one of the things that I have noticed in the many years that the Lord has been gracious to allow me to live for him is that we are composites of every time we come into the presence of God. There are some services that we look back on. In fact, if I was to pass the microphone around this sanctuary this morning, without doubt, some of you can remember singular services. Like some of you, it's so indelibly imprinted. You know the month, you know the day, you know the preacher, you know the prayer time, you know everything about it. And truly, there are times in our lives where the Lord kind of shines a spotlight, if you will, on a certain moment. But, but the longer I live, the more I realize that our lives really are mainly comprised of a composite of all the services together. Uh, all of the sermons we hear, all of the lessons that we hear. We heard a marvelous, uh, a marvelous list of stories today that my wife shared in our track session about the life of Nona Freeman. And uh, I was taking notes and I was jotting down things to remind me of, of, of heroes of the faith and what God has done for others. I feel like even if I stop right now and don't worry, I'm still going to preach. So you're not going to get off that easy. But if I just went home right now, I feel like just what has been added already inside of me has blessed me today and has helped me today. And we are composites. We're composites of every sermon we hear. We're composites of the conversations that we have with people. And I'm thankful that God can choose the 27th day of August in 2023 to add to that composite and help us to be better. How many of you want to be better in your walk with God than ever before? You want to grow? You want to walk forward in faith? And I, I, I ask you today just to lean in as the word of God is being preached. And help me preach today. But I'll be reading from Genesis chapter number 45 uh, in just a little while. I've been preaching this, this summer on the life of Joseph. And uh, I've just entitled this series, I Must Decide. Everyone say, I must decide. There are some questions and there are some subjects and there are some themes from the life of Joseph that demand confrontation in our life. We can't sit idly by when we peruse the life of Joseph, when we examine his life, the ups and the downs. And without a doubt, and if you haven't been here for all of the sermons, I just encourage you to check those out uh, on video or audio through our YouTube feed. But uh, the life of Joseph is one of contrast, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. He knew what it was to be uh, a leader in a home and then be a prisoner the next day lied upon. He knew what it was to be a favored son of his father and then betrayed by his own blood kin and sold into slavery. He knew what it was to then be elevated, to be the interpreter with God's help of dreams and elevated to be a ruler in Egypt. Here he is, a man, a Jew, who is now a ruler in Egypt, a heathen nation. And so there is much truth that can be mined from the life of Joseph. And so one more time, at the close of this month, I want to draw from his life and draw from the scriptures and pose a very important question to us. Several years ago, there was a study done by the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. They are 
very well known for their expertise and their diagnosis and their treatment plans for people many times with very serious sicknesses. According to this Mayo Clinic report, there is one thing that exists as a key to healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, less stress and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a stronger immune system, improved heart health, and improved self-esteem. Now that I have our attention, some of you are saying, Pastor, would you please point me to the table where I can find that miracle drug? Maybe it's out on those tables today. We get done with this and we go out there and the Mayo Clinic miracle drug is there. What is it that can improve all of these areas of our life? It is not a miracle drug. It's not for sale by pharmaceutical companies, but according to Mayo Clinic, it is the enormous power of forgiveness. Forgiveness can produce healthier relationships. According to Mayo Clinic, notice, haven't even read the Bible yet. Mayo Clinic says that forgiveness can improve my mental health. Forgiveness causes less anxiety and stress and hostility and blood pressure lowered and improved self-esteem, heart health, all because of forgiveness. It's an enormous factor in all of our lives. Forgiveness. Everybody say forgiveness. Amen. Amen. Forgiveness. Now, I was talking to our prayer team before we came out here for the service today and we were praying together and I so appreciate these men that meet with the preacher every week and pray for the service. And I was telling them this, and it's amazing to me when I consider the subject of forgiveness. If we don't have trouble, we can't forgive. So God is pointing to a quality of a walk with him that is only borne out through difficulty. I don't have a reason to forgive if everybody, if everybody treats me great. But only do I have the opportunity to forgive if there is difficulty. One of the definitions that I have found for the word forgive that seems to be right on point to me is simply this, to let it expire, to keep it no longer. To forgive. And so I must decide today. You must decide today. Will I forgive? Will I forgive? It's a huge question. It's an all-important question. It's something that affects every breathing person in this room right now. Now, I wish to make sure we are not just quoting from the Mayo Clinic, but staying in the Word of God today. So the ultimate reason that you and I need to practice forgiveness is because we have been forgiven so much. I stand here today a blessed man, not simply 
because of the benefits God has given me, but the forgiveness that God has given to me. The truth of the matter is, and I think I may get a witness in this house, if you and I were to stand in God's presence based on our goodness, our faithfulness, our compassion, our equity, if we were to stand on our own, we would all fail miserably. Now, I'm not going to speak for you. You can speak for yourself, but I will speak for this guy right here. If I am standing here today in my own merit, in my own charisma, in my own ability, and my own agenda, I will fail every single time. But you know what? I can look back over my life and I can see where he gave me things that I did not deserve. He picked me up when I was not worthy of being picked up. He gave me mercy when I did not deserve mercy. I have been so forgiven. It's why the psalmist declared it emphatically, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and you are plenteous in mercy. Anybody here, before we ever get knee-deep into this sermon, you are just thankful that God didn't give you what you deserved, but you are in this house today, and you are seated in this house today, or you are standing in this house today, and God gave you mercy, and God gave you forgiveness, and God washed us. Praise God. I think we ought to praise him for it right now. I just believe there's a praise that can come up in our hearts when we think about where we could have been if it wasn't for his forgiveness. Come on, I got to make sure we know this. Nobody is worthy of forgiveness. Not one of us is worthy of the grace God has given to us. It doesn't matter what our last name is or what our great-grandfather used to do in the church. None of us is worthy of the forgiveness of God. It's a gift. Shout it. Say, it's a gift. I want you to imagine this scene in Scripture with me. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus, to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping, and her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume upon them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Let me stop here long enough to just say, based on the verse that I just read, the scripture says that he thought it to himself. He did not verbalize it. But Jesus called him out on it. I mean, no, you got to be careful what you think about. Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied and really didn't know what kind of thunder he was getting ready to receive. Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. Whew. 
500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he had canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. So I have come, I believe, in the Holy Ghost on this Sunday morning to declare four very emphatic words in our midst. Much forgiveness, much love. Much forgiveness, much love. It would be good for us to remember how much mercy God has shown to us. It would be good on a Sunday morning for you and I to stop long enough to say, Lord, I haven't come with a laundry list of prayer right now. I have come to lift up my voice and thank you for your mercy and thank you for your forgiveness and thank you for your cleansing. Much forgiveness, much love. See, God's forgiveness. Some of y'all are catching it right now. There's a few people in this house that it hasn't got old to them that I've been washed. I've been sanctified. I've been set free. I am standing in his presence, able to worship him. Come on, New Life Church. God's forgiveness is total, and God's forgiveness is complete. It's why the prophet Isaiah said, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall become as wool. John said, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness every unrighteousness every mistake every transgression Paul said to the Ephesians and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins you were dead but you're not dead any longer you were dead in your trespasses and sins but you're alive today. 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, New Life Church, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. For by grace, New Life Church, you have been saved. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Woo! I was guilty, but I've been forgiven. I was dirty, but I have been washed. I was deceived, but I have been redeemed. I have been given mercy for wrong, beauty for ashes, joy for sorrow. I am blessed. Come on. Reason I need to forgive, because I've been forgiven so much. I've been forgiven so much. Who am I to hold at bay forgiveness? We've been forgiven. And so my personal forgiveness, hear me right now, my personal forgiveness is the ultimate reason to forgive. Secondly, forgiveness is an eternity issue. Forgiveness is a heaven and hell issue. Finally, he's going to tell us what's heaven and hell. Ready? Forgiveness is an eternity issue. Hear the words of Jesus whenever you stand praying. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Now, I'm going to challenge something. I'm going to get right down in our business. I feel a, a prophetic utterance on me today. Listen to what the word of, words of Jesus says. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, it does not say that they have to ask for forgiveness. He said, if you are standing praying and you've got an issue with somebody, forgive them. No, no, no. You got to wait till they come groveling. You got to wait till they come slinking down the aisle. You got to wait till they mourn and boo-hoo and cry and sob and fall on your... No, 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 that's not what Jesus said. He said, Tim, if you are in the presence of, of the Lord and you find yourself praying and you realize there's something inside of you that has ought against somebody else, you have got to forgive them. You've got to release that for them. 
If you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Please hear the word of the Lord today. The contingency of God's forgiveness toward us is our forgiveness toward one another. Paul said to the Corinthians in the second letter, chapter 2, that we are to forgive lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Which tells me that unforgiveness is a device of Satan. For me to hold forgiveness at bay until someone makes it right with me is for me to fall prey to a device of Satan himself. But New Life Church, we don't have to fall prey to that. We don't have to fall prey to that. Somebody hear this preacher right now. You do not have to be in that prison house of unforgiveness one day longer. You see, the reason unforgiveness is a device of the enemy is because ultimately it affects my relationship and my standing with God himself. In Matthew chapter number 18, Peter came to the Lord and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, on the, on the surface, you and I can think perhaps, as I did for a long time, that that was some arbitrary number that Peter manufactured. Hmm, I wonder what would be a big number. I wonder what would prove that I'm really spiritual. Lord, if someone sins against me, how many times should I forgive them? Up to seven times? And brothers and sisters, when you and I open our Bibles and we begin to study the scripture, the number seven in the Jewish culture is a number of completion or a number of perfection. So without doubt, Peter is saying, that would certainly do it, huh, Lord? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So now we've introduced arithmetic. We don't just have one solitary number. Now we've got 70 Times seven, Jesus went on. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him. Everybody say released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant, forgiven of 10,000 talents, went out and found one of his fellow servants who owned, owed him rather 100 denarii, far less than 10,000 talents. He laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, does this sound familiar? Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. One of his fellow servants saw what had been done, and they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? His master was angry, delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Forgiveness is an eternity issue. Unforgiveness will separate me quicker from God than probably anything else. Because when I refuse to forgive, when I refuse to release somebody of the wrong, I stop the forgiveness of God in my life. That is scary to me. And there is the very strong inference, and I know this is sober. I want you to hear me. There is a very strong inference that if I come to the Lord Jesus saying, well, they don't deserve forgiveness, he could look at me and say the same thing that that master said to that person. You are wicked. In light and in comparison to all that I have forgiven you. Let me say this. Life is too short to keep score. I won this one. They won that one. So it's one to one. If it comes back up, I got to win again. Because I got to keep score. I got to make sure everything is equal. I got to make sure in the end, I win. That's not kingdom. That's not Jesus. That's not Bible. Because forgiveness, please hear me, does not mean forgetting. Forgiveness does not mean excusing. Forgiveness does not mean making up. Forgiveness does not mean trusting. It is a decision to release wrong. Look at me. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is a decision. I don't feel like forgiving them. That's the problem. We're waiting for the feeling. Luke chapter 23, verse 33, when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified Jesus. 
and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, by the way, he's the one hanging in the middle on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Consider when it was that Jesus was uttering these words. He was not uttering them across a dinner table. He was not uttering them in a boat fishing with his disciples. He was uttering them on the cross. Not at a place of feeling like he wanted to forgive them. They weren't asking for forgiveness. They were nailing him to a Roman stake. But forgiveness brings the kind of peace that helps us go on with life. Listen, listen. We can forgive what we will never forget. Say, well, I still remember it. That's not the point. Have I forgiven it? Because we can forgive what we will never forget. Remember, forgiveness is something that we can do on our own. Reconciliation takes two people. Dr. David Stoop, who wrote a couple of great books, actually several books, two of which are uh, a great read, you Are What You Think, that's a great title. Take Your Life Back, that's an even better title. Tells that he forgave his father 20 years after his father had died. He said, I had resentment and I had bitterness toward my father even though he had been gone all those years. And when I forgave him, it changed my life. He writes that some people rush to the deathbed of a parent trying to make things right. And if they don't get there on time, the parent dies and they feel it's too late to forgive them. But it is not too late. Because David Stoop said, we don't need the other person's participation to release them for what they did. Dr. Stoop stated that if he would have confronted his dad when he was alive, he believes his dad still would have denied it all. But he chose to forgive his father anyway. And when he did, he found a deeper level of healing and wholeness than he ever thought possible. Paul told the Roman believers, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, not asking for forgiveness, we're still in sin. Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
praise God. His life was so up and down. It just seemed like whenever Joseph's life would get good, something would come and knock the scaffold out and he would descend into a place of despair. As I accounted for just a few minutes ago, how can you even reconcile? How can we get in our minds this yo-yo, if, it, if you will, effect of his life, so blessed in prison, so elevated, brought down, betrayed, and then exalted. And yet through it all, as we have documented in this preaching series this summer, God says that Joseph never charged the Lord foolishly. The Lord was with him. He kept the right spirit through it all. And yet as he is second in command in the nation of Egypt, after interpreting dreams of Pharaoh himself. I mentioned this a couple of Sundays ago, after interpreting the dream of Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, boy, this is really something. We're going to have all these years of plenty, seven years, and then we're going to have seven years of, uh, of famine. And you're saying, Joseph, that we need to find someone to put over the administration of gathering grain in the, in the good times and storing it up for the famine. We need an articulate person. We need an organized person. We need a, a person of great resolve and influence. You're the man, Joseph. Joseph is elevated, comes out of the prison, elevated to second in command in Egypt. And now, not only is everyone in Egypt coming to Egypt for grain, but all the surrounding countries are as well. Joseph's brothers, who sold him into slavery years before, told dad that his boy was dead, killed by an animal. Get hungry. Dad says, I'll tell you what, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. You go to Egypt and you buy grain for us. It'll probably be at an inflated price, but we've got we we to survive. Scripture tells us as we get to Genesis chapter 45 that his brothers who had so cruelly sold him and betrayed him come into the very presence of Joseph himself. What a scene that had to be. And we read it in Scripture. Here's what we find very quickly. Joseph knew who they were, but they didn't know who he was. If that is not poetic justice. Now, what I won't read, but I'll just tell you quickly about, is all the little nuances to that relationship from the time that Joseph found out his brothers were there to when he finally revealed himself as their brother. It's marvelous. You want a good read? Read it in Genesis chapter 42, 3, 4, in there. It's almost like a, like a little game. He, just, he tells them, you're going to eat with us. It was forbidden for Egyptians to eat with Hebrews. And so all the Jewish boys in the family, they were in the room by themselves. And when they come in for the meal, the tables are set from the eldest to the youngest. No one's told anybody in, in the Egyptian throne room who's oldest and who's youngest. Joseph knows. So he says to the servants, I want you to put them in this order. I want Benjamin to be down here by me. He's the youngest. And I want you to go all the way up to the eldest. They come in. Can you imagine what it must have been for those Jewish boys to walk into an Egyptian dining room, having told no one of their family heritage, and they're all seated in perfect order by age? 
He sends him home with grain and puts a cup in Benjamin's bag. And when, when people found out, they assumed that he had stolen it. They bring him back, and we go back and forth, this little game that Joseph is playing. And finally, it becomes so desperate that they're standing in his presence. And Joseph, the Bible says, can't take it anymore. He has to dismiss himself and, and weep, separated from his brothers. He finally comes in, and he says to his brothers, I am Joseph. And the Bible says, and I'm reading from one certain version, they were terrified. I don't know why that hits me so funny. You think maybe they were. After all those years of waving bye-bye as he was sold into slavery in Egypt, and now the one they're coming to that literally has their life in his hands is saying to them, ta-da. They didn't believe him. And he falls upon them, saying, I am Joseph. And it is at that point that Joseph has to decide. Will I forgive my brothers? Because, friends, sometimes it is easier to forgive people we are not in relationship with than people that are close in relationship to us. Those are the people that can hurt us the worst. It is in that sober, emotional moment that three times Joseph says to his brothers, verse 5, God sent me before you. To preserve life. Verse 7. God sent me before you. To save your life. By a great deliverance. And to preserve. Your posterity. God was directing my path. Brothers. He sent me. Even in your wrong toward me. God chose to get glory. Out of what I release to him. And it's going to affect me. It's going to affect you. It's going to affect your posterity. It's going to affect your children. It's going to affect generations. Oh, I got to make sure we get this forgiveness. Not only affects the current situation. It affects our children. It affects our posterity. It affects our heritage. Thank you, Joseph, for deciding to forgive. If we forgive, we will heal. Now I'm going to ask us in a moment to stand and come forward as we pray together at the close of this service. And I am simply going to make an appeal. I cannot force anybody. I wouldn't do that. But I am simply asking if every person in this room would step forward and we us pray together so that we as a total body of people could pray before we go home today. Would you stand please and would you come?
praise the Lord. While you're coming, why don't you just take a moment and thank God again that he's forgiven you. Come on, let's pray that out loud to the Lord. Thank you for forgiving us, Lord. Come on, we're going to make time for people to come. Everybody's stepping out. Everybody's stepping out. Everybody's stepping out. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't judge me, God, because of my failures. But you gave your life for me, Lord. You've willingly laid your life down on the cross so that I could have forgiveness, redemption, cleansing, filling by your spirit, Lord Jesus. Thank you for not giving me what I deserve, Lord, but thank you for giving me mercy. Thank you for your washing, Lord. Thank you for your long-suffering, God. Thank you for your character toward me, Lord. Thank you for giving me purpose when I didn't feel purpose, Lord. Thank you for giving us the willingness today to forgive. Praise God. Here's the bottom line. When I forgive, the person that benefits most is me. I get out of the prison house. I release it. I let it go. So I have a question. Just, just simple questions today as we pray. Who is it that we need to forgive? Who is it that God's bringing to your mind right now? What situation do I need to release today? I've been hanging on to it for too long. What relationship do I need to quit putting expectations on and just release it to God? Give it to God. Let him work. Let him work. Let him work. Let's pray about those things right now. Who is it I need to forgive? What situation do I need to release? What relationship do I need to quit putting expectations on? Boy, this hits home. This, hit, this hits home, folks, but let's pray it right now. God, I forgive. If you feel it, come on, if the Lord's bringing someone to your mind, you don't have to holler it out, but I wish you would just pray it honestly to the Lord right now and say, Lord, I'm letting it go. I'm releasing it to you. I forgive that person. I let it go, Lord. I let it go. I don't want to be trapped by it any longer. I don't want to be shackled by it any longer. Come on, I know, I know this is pressing our flesh right now because we're, we're survivalists. We try to make it. We try to win. But come on, we've got we to crucify our flesh on Sunday morning. I, I got to act countercultural to what I feel like I should do. I, I want to hang on. I want to just win. I want to win the, the case. I want to be proven. I want to be vindicated. I want to be validated. But Lord, I lay my life on your altar today. And we release it, Lord. We release it. I release it, Lord. I lay it on the altar, God, and I release it right now. I forgive in the name of Jesus. With your help, Lord, I forgive. With your enabling, I forgive, Lord. I release that person. I release that situation into your hand right now, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. 
Would you sing this with us? I want to live the way He wants me those of you that are praying, go ahead and cry that out to the Lord right now. I release it. I release it. I release it. there's just no to I want to love. Thank you, Jesus. Till there's just no I could never in the Bible, and I'll finish with this. There's a verse in the Bible that many times I've come to this pulpit, and I've taught from when it comes to stewardship of money, and I believe it's true. Where Jesus, according to the scripture, says this, and some of you that have been in church and been churchgoers, whether it's New Life or some other place, you've heard this passage taught from, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And you know what? I have used that many times. And I believe it's true about giving. We give liberally to supply vehicles for missionaries. And here's what I think God will do. When we do, he'll give back. Good measure rest down, shaken together, running over. But those of you that have been part of this church for a while, you've heard me say this before. There actually is interpretation and not just application in the scripture. And when we look at that passage of scripture in Luke chapter 6, look at the verse right before that. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. You ready? Forgive. And you will be forgiven. Give. Give what? Forgiveness. And forgiveness will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. Will the Lord give back to me? forgiveness because I have given forgiveness. Do you see the connection and how this parallels with what the scripture teaches elsewhere? This forgiveness piece is a huge deal. In new life, we have to decide. Will we forgive? I pray the Lord will help us with that. Let's sing one more time and then we're going to pray a dismissal prayer.